The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on to the 15 and 60 part one here. As we sidle into the all-star break, you're going to do this in two parts. If you haven't had a chance yet, go ahead and listen to the podcast from Sunday night with Mark Sign and Danny and I also talked about Cavs Celtics. But now we're going to go in order of the standings here in this part one, and that gives us the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors are 43 and 13, eight and four since the last 15. 15 and 60, second in net rating at plus nine, second in offense, seventh in defense. And I think that's the place to start with this. So since Steph Curry returned from his sprained ankle, they're fifth in net rating, despite being 26th in defense, because they're outscoring everybody else by three points per hundred possessions. Yeah, that has been pretty remarkable. And the biggest thing that sticks out, we've mentioned this before, but it just continues to get even worse, is their transition defense. They are now the worst team in the NBA in terms of allowing transition frequency off of misses. And considering that they themselves are an outlier in terms of their own offensive transition off of misses, and you're really going to get a rollicking fast break game when the Warriors are are involved uh but this really just straight up lack of effort uh, from the warriors they were fifth last year they've been top six in this metric every year of the kerr era uh, until this one uh and so basically they allow opponent transition off of misses 34 percent of the time whereas it was 27 percent of the time last year when you consider so if there's 100 possessions in a game you know that's probably going to be 3.5 additional transition possessions per game if you think that half the time they're facing a uh, their own misses uh, or so and when you consider that team score much better you know that's a point or two in their defensive rating uh, overall which I think is now like sixth or seventh in the league for the season uh, that really explains a big part of their defensive decline simply on its own and the expectation has to be that at this point when the games get more meaningful for them that they will ramp up at least the effort part of it they will also be playing better personnel because Draymond will be playing more at center the less time with the centers, even though one of their best, if actually their best defensive lineup has been with a, I guess you wouldn't call David West a traditional center because he was a power forward for most of his career, but he is a, a true center in their system. Yeah, and he has been outstanding this year. He's shooting 60% on mid-rangers and they have this pet set now, which they'll run a couple times a game out of timeouts 
where Clay Thompson, usually in that dinosaur unit, which Anthony Slater has christened uh, the unit that starts the second and fourth quarters, will uh, they'll enter the ball into the post, and then Clay Thompson will screen for West, who's usually being guarded by some slow center, to get to the free throw line for a jumper. And yeah, you know, if he's going to hit that 60% of the time, maybe you should try to get him open there. Uh, that won't continue, obviously, but he has been just absolutely outstanding in his short minutes. This year, I'd be interested in is to see how many more minutes he's capable of playing in the playoffs if he's going to keep playing like this uh and uh that dino unit uh livingston thompson iguodala draymond green and david west has been really really good this season for the warriors they have a plus 22 net rating which is ridiculous despite scoring less than a point per possession because their defensive rating is 76-6 teams just are not scoring against them they are also they're doing a pretty good job of contesting or or holding teams away from threes but also the opponent three-point shooting is ridiculous which is something you always look to to regress the mean but six of 43 on their last ones including a rough night for the spurs in their game on saturday night yeah and some of that is just I mean, the Spurs got three or four wide open ones that they just missed against that unit. But that unit, especially in the second quarter, it's a good thing for the Warriors that they've been that good because the Warriors generally are amazingly, considering that when healthy, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant played the entire first quarter, the Warriors are actually now been outscored on the season in the first quarter. And a lot of it looks like laziness. And it's so easy when the other team's shooting is good to ascribe it to to laziness in first quarter quarters especially when you say with the exact same rotation generally in the third quarter they have been rocking teams in the third quarter they have by far the best third quarter differential in the nba i think their third quarter differential is better than any other team's entire differential for the season except for houston at this point it's pretty close to that i mean toronto is better as well but in the first quarter when they get outscored they give up and on average 30 points in the first quarter which is is crazy opponents shoot 42 percent from three and then when you get to the third quarter golden state shoots 43 percent from three and opponents only shoot 33 percent from three and 42 percent overall as they get outscored by five points uh per third quarter on average one other quick thing we should definitely discuss with them is is how kind of so the trade deadline cleveland of course made a lot of other a lot of moves but none of the other serious contenders really did a whole lot now on the buyout market the rockets got a couple guys we'll talk about that later we also talked about it on last night show and that plays out for the Warriors in a couple different ways they didn't clear roster spots that means that if they get want a buyout guy it's substantially more expensive for them just because you you don't clear the other person's money unless they get claimed but we also don't know if anybody of that caliber is going to go because the threshold has to be will this guy be a potential rotation player in the playoffs because if it, if they don't do that it's probably not worth it so will a player of that caliber get bought out we don't know at this point yeah and going through the buyout market there doesn't seem to be a ton left on there and we talked about yesterday how marco bellinelli is really the only guy because they need another wing who can shoot the ball I and mean, that's their number one need to me is someone who can make shots and not get killed on defense and obviously that's the type of player is the hardest to come by in the league so i think they need to just get more out of especially andre guadala offensively and perhaps uh, that will work perhaps uh, it won't uh we'll see as a history of coming 
on later in the season uh worth noting Steph Curry got a little bit of an ankle tweak against the Spurs didn't look quite as aggressive after that but insisted afterwards that he was fine uh so we'll see how he looks Uh, they'll probably be pretty conservative on uh, Monday against the Suns uh we're recording this on uh, late on Sunday night um let's move on to Houston here the Houston Rockets are really close behind the Warriors right now I mean they're 42 and 13 12 and 2 since the last time we did this they're number one in net rating plus 9.1 first in offense ninth in defense and as we as we all know they're going to make the playoffs yeah and worth noting although 538 projects the Warriors to beat them out by one game for the number one seed which uh, they must do because uh, Houston has the tiebreaker with those two wins in three games Houston actually is given a better chance at the title than the Warriors right now I certainly do not agree with that but from a statistical standpoint pretty noteworthy considering the domination in the regular season that Golden State has had the last three years um Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright being added we talked about them a little bit and Bobby Brown who of course is instrumental in bringing Chris Paul there got a nice little parting gift where he got signed for the rest of the season and then immediately got cut that's basically just Houston's ownership giving him money and and by the way the Gerald Morey deserves credit for that because these sort of little sparmy deals which having to get rid of Bobby Brown might have been something that would alienate Chris Paul and James Harden like that was their boy that's part of part of the recruitment package for Chris Paul and so for Gerald Morey to be able to go to ownership and say hey you know what like especially with the massive luxury tax payments that are probably coming uh for Tillman Fertitta in the years to come if they re-sign Paul this offseason that to just say hey you know what like Bobby Brown here's six hundred thousand dollars for the rest of the season or whatever it ended up being five hundred thousand just to we know we're gonna cut you immediately that's uh that's good to be able to get your owner to do that if you're a GM and he apparently has built up equity and for Ted is a new owner too we've seen new owners at least of a certain kind Steve Ballmer is like this too where it's like okay I'm not going to cheap out I'm going to do what it takes but uh, for the organization to be willing to do that just to placate the players who are already on the roster I think is a smart move something you and I have been keeping an eye on and they haven't played a lot together but I think we, we should talk about it just to keep it in the back of people's minds is when the Rockets go to PJ Tucker at center especially PJ Tucker at center and Lucas Mute at power forward they are absolutely killing teams it's only been 104 pos- or 102 possessions so not very much time but 131 offensive rating 94.9 defensive rating and why that's important is against a lot of teams that Houston will face theoretically I would say the Warriors in the conference finals and if they made the NBA finals most of the teams they would play in the NBA finals I would be going with that lineup to at least close game yeah and what has made that possible is the three-point shooting with Mba Mute and Tucker on about 300 attempts shooting over 35%. So that's good enough, especially when it's in the half court. You're going to 35% on a three in the half court. That's actually not bad. So you can't just leave those guys open. Jim Green actually had an interview saying like, yeah, you know, Luke and Tucker used to kind of be non-shooters and now, you know, you actually have to guard him. So if that's in the Warriors head that we got to actually guard these guys, that could be big. Now in the playoffs, you know, the uh, sphincters can get a little bit tighter. We'll see whether they're able to, to hit or not but we've seen just as many of those guys in the playoffs like you know Trevor Ariza back in 2009 guys who just get really hot uh Mark Lemke style in the playoffs man that is an old school baseball reference right there uh or just as many as you find 
can't make a shot in the playoffs so if they have to be guarded out there that's massive and i think in terms of a closing line i would want to have both of those two guys out there and then your question becomes is trevor ariza who's out with the hamstring now probably through the all-star break is he your fifth guy there or are you going to go with eric gordon and but either of those guys really are, are probably switchable enough and james harden for all of his faults at least he's not a guy who can easily be posted up but due to his strength that's probably the one thing that he does do okay defensively so that has been a tough lineup that lineup was tough for golden state to crack it in that game against them and, and i really look forward to seeing that in the playoffs and houston continues really just in general in the clutch to just dominate uh with that james harden attacking the weakest guy pick and roll in, the, in that miami game over the weekend uh they just went right at goring Dragic every time and were able to score most of the time with uh james harden getting the ice and then just going to, to his step back and while he's down on three pointers a little bit to 38 percent uh he's been hitting like crazy and then chris paul uh he's been taking a lot of longer threes uh, as well i've known if you just look at his shot chart i didn't have the exact numbers in front of me but it's certainly been palpable how many deep threes he's been taking especially in that cleveland game he was really pulling up and that 7.5 three-point attempts per 36 minutes is a career high by almost two uh per 36 minutes for chris paul and that really does unlock some potential for him but also for the Rockets and I mean this team just when they're when they're really flowing they're just so so dangerous on and they can be good defensively too I, I think that that's why they're different is that they're good enough offensively to score on anybody and good enough defensively to to slow just about anybody down and so they're going to be in the mix here and uh, how are you feeling one of the swing points for them in a playoff series as it was last year is Ryan Anderson how are you feeling about him right now well uh, Dylan Murphy has been on this since the beginning of the season that he had lost weight he looks better moving his feet his lack of rim protection could be a problem and, and if they're not going to have a Clint Capella on the floor I mean that's really the only guy in this team who can protect the Renee to uh, some extent uh, but not really a forte of this team they're more reliant on preventing penetration to begin with than cleaning up mistakes and so Anderson at center I mean I thought that Nene falling out of that Spurs series last year was an underrated part of why they lost we had talked about how they wanted we wanted them to go more with Anderson at center but that didn't really seem to work out quite as well and while Anderson has gotten better he deserves credit for that he still does have the worst defensive rating on the team at 107.5 uh and so if you're going to ask me, would you rather have him on the floor or Tucker and Abamute, I'd rather say, hey, we're going to stop the other team, number one, and then we're going to rely on James Harden and Chris Paul to score against hopefully the other team's weakest defender, uh, number two, down the end of the game. Do you have anything else on them, or do you want to move on to the Spurs or an ad? <laughs> I think an ad would be warranted here. And as you listen to this, I have left for vacation, and I don't have to sacrifice it all on my toothbrush. I don't have that crappy toothbrush that just has to get like wedged in to that holder and then you lose the holder and like you have to just put your toothbrush in your dop kit sometimes because you've forgotten the holder that's always miserable or then in that holder your regular toothbrush gets all smashed up because I have my Quip toothbrush, I don't have to worry about that anymore. And I used to never want to take my electric toothbrush on vacation because, uh, or on a business trips, because the thing is huge. It's got this huge battery pack that's like an inch and a half wide, and you're worried it's going to run out of batteries when you're on the trip. You have to take the charger with you that's even more space. And so I was like, all right, I'll just subsist with the, the crappy manual toothbrush and deal with the sweater teeth. But now with Quip, it's basically the size of a normal toothbrush. It's just got one AAA battery in there that lasts for three months. And if you 
sign up for their subscription plan, they'll just send you a new battery and a new brush head every three months. And then it's just got this great holder that you can just put it on your counter or attach it to your mirror. If you're someone who's living in an urban area, you don't have a lot of counter space. And then when you're on the go, you just take that off your counter, flip it around, put it on top of there uh, and just throw it in your dock kit. And it stays on there really well. It doesn't crush up your, your bristles and you get an amazing toothbrush, no sweater teeth, no plaque on your teeth, good stimulation of your gums as well with the electric toothbrush. The timer on there, make sure you brush for two minutes. There's a little blip every 30 seconds to remind you to move on to a new quadrant. It's just going to revolutionize brushing. And the way to get started with them for just a mere $25, by the way, is all these start at. You can go to getquip.com slash capspace. That URL, getquip.com slash capspace. And you can get your first refill pack free with that Quip electric toothbrush. Getquip.com slash capspace. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash capspace. Let them know that you came from us. So the San Antonio Spurs just keep on trucking 35 and 22, though they are six and seven since the last time we did this. Seventh in net rating, 14th in offense, or still remarkable second in defense. And the most significant thing that happened since the last 15 and 60, though we have talked about it a little bit in the scope of the podcast, is DeJounte Murray becoming the full-time starting point guard. He he did sprain his uh, sprain his ankle against the Suns, missed the game against Golden State. But in eight games, he as this as the starter, about 50% true shooting, 20% usage. They've had a, a 107 offensive rating, which is better. It's right in line with their season number, so I think that's actually pretty good. And you know, I th- I think he's been a natural fit. I think it was it was a, a good thing coming for them. But there will of course be some growing pains with it, especially when they're playing right now without Kawhi and Rudy Gay, but without Kawhi for a longer period of time. Yeah, Murray still does not shoot the three ball whatsoever, and his own personal numbers. 50- 51% true shooting and just really tough for him. He doesn't get to the foul line and he doesn't shoot three. So you're really hard pressed to be efficient unless you're, you know, just an incredible mid-range shooter. You're not going to be an efficient player and he doesn't space the floor, though he is an excellent cutter. He does give them more of a transition element than they might have had before. His athleticism is definitely palpable. He's I think once he really learns the game, he's going to be a defensive monster, but he's still his length, his hustle, his speed defensively is already a problem for other teams at times. But if Kawhi Leonard comes back this year and this team starts to really hit its stride uh, the same way that we've seen it in years past and they start to try to have some real playoff aspirations again, and same thing with Rudy Gay, if he can return after the All-Star break, I don't know how I feel about this move of starting DeJounte Murray. And then they've got Patty Mills and they got Tony Parker as well. Parker missed and Murray both missed this game against Golden State when we saw them in person over the weekend. But I just think like they're just not going to have enough spacing with their starting group if you're going to have Murray out there with Kawhi it just doesn't seem like that good of a fit I like what Greg Popovich is doing I like the idea of getting Murray some experience it it harkens back to when Tony Parker started at point guard for them years ago when he was picked at the bottom of the first round but DeJounte Murray so far is no Tony Parker when he first came into the league and the fit there could end up being an issue so we'll see whether he 
he's able to work that up. Maybe they'll just be so good defensively with him out there. It, it won't matter. And Kawhi just isn't as reliant on spacing as some of these other guys. But I am very skeptical if you're really going to start Shante Murray in the playoffs against, you know, in a conference semifinals series, how well that's going to work out offensively. And for those who've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll remember that last year, that was our big concern with the Spurs was not, oh, can they defend teams? It was, can they score enough? And they ended up beating the Rockets that series. I mean, <laughs> I still think about that series somewhat frequently, but the Rockets are a far better team right now. The Warriors, of course, are as well. And so they, they will struggle with that. And it's also just a lot of guys with the ball in their hands who have provided a lot more value that way than without it. So it'll be a challenge. They'll have to figure that out. A, cu- a couple guys that actually fit in well, I've been very intrigued by Davis Bertans. He uh, can space the floor, shooting a lot of his shots from three, but at 36% isn't as much as you would hope for him. But the idea of a guy who who doesn't really have to occupy too much of the ball, but can keep a defender out of the paint is really valuable for San Antonio, really whatever configuration they're in. Yeah, that is useful. He'll be an arenas free agent, older than you might think he'd spend some time in Europe. He's going to be 25 uh, when he reaches restricted free agency this season after his second year Liam put some stats together on him his rebounding is not very good uh and the Spurs have always been a wonderful defensive rebounding team especially in the regular season they've had some problems against some really athletic teams like Oklahoma City a couple of years ago when they lost that series to them in the playoffs but uh, the defensive rebounding percentage for them drops significantly with him on the floor he only gets 13 percent defensive rebounds that's like below average for a small forward uh and then he does absolutely nothing on the offensive glass in large part because he's just hanging out outside he is a guy who can get in the lane and, and throw down some dunks every once in a while driving a, a closeout and you mentioned the 36 percent that's his percentage you know you would for a player of his ilk you know high 30s 40 percent. he does take a lot of them and he's a guy who it really needs to be guarded out there uh but yeah you would hope that he could be a little bit more of a wetter than he actually is uh, outside he's a guy that we've wanted to see because he just gives them a little bit more of a spacing element and they certainly have been totally okay with him on the floor in the aggregate this year and you know he's been starting some games recently they've moved Pau Gasol to the bench that was their other big move is bringing him off the bench as a center although he certainly is uh still getting paid like a starter so he can't complain too badly and they're starting Aldridge at center so they're getting a little more spacing on the floor I think that move has been in part due to the injuries but also because if you're going to have DeJounte Murray on the floor as your one then you need to get a little bit more shooting around him than the two traditional bigs might have he's he's a guy who's interesting you know i'm not sure he's that quite good enough as a switch defender either he's really more of you know a stretch four from like 2011 than a stretch four from 2018 but as a guy who has some athleticism and can shoot the ball i don't think he's a starting level player but you would like to see him get some minutes and he has been of late uh which he had not early in his first career something else we definitely have to talk about partially because it happened recently and partially because it's just fascinating is kyle anderson continuing to as you phrased it bedevil kevin durant and durant has every conceivable physical advantage he's taller he moves better he's longer has a way longer wingspan but for whatever reason it's actually not a way longer wingspan kyle anderson has a has long arms. wingspan yeah. uh he does but yeah I, I agree with you obviously kitty has uh, a massive advantage and he just the style the the way that kyle anderson approaches things he just gets kevin durant off rhythm and i i don't think like oh if they played in a playoff series durant wouldn't be able to figure it out but it's consistently amusing it happens just enough that i really enjoy it yeah i mean i think kyle anderson got kd three times on pump fakes from the mid-range and then he was able to step in with a nice floater he he drew a foul on kd as well
well uh in that first game that the teams played in san antonio he was able to get to the rim against him and kind of just slow down and bump him off and finish uh, and surprisingly enough kyle anderson has the highest true shooting percentage on the team uh, of the regular rotation players at 58 percent, which is again not great i mean if you're a great offensive team in this day and age you know you've got multiple guys with over 60 percent true shooting i mean the league average true shooting right now is 56 percent. so if he's the highest and he's 58 percent, it shows that the spurs team is not the great offense that they've been in the past but they don't have a great offensive players available to them right now but we also saw anderson uh, still a very reluctant shooter a very slow release and so in the third quarter when the warriors really took over the game against san antonio draymond green was just not guarding him and mucking up every single action uh and that's going to always be a continuous problem for anderson one other thing i want to talk about briefly is Derek white he first round pick hasn't played a lot with the big squad he's mostly been been down or actually he's a lot been on the bench turning turning over the ball fairly frequently 25 percent on possessions but he has had the ball in his hands fairly frequently because just when he's been on the court and he shot it okay so i I mean i think there's enough enough there to be like okay maybe maybe he can do a little something but he's older than most rookies because of the circuitous path he took to to the nba i mean even the circuitous path he took to college so i'm i still need to see more of him to get a feel for it but i've i've liked elements of what i've seen so far yeah i mean we just saw him in person this is only really his second game in the rotation uh, with the injury to to Dejounte murray uh, against phoenix uh, when he uh, that was a weird injury for murray he just was coming down the lane he didn't get bumped at all and then he just like usually you won't see a guy sprain his ankle going up uh without hitting somebody's foot Uh, but uh, murray just like tried to go up for a layup and just like sprained his ankle with nothing there at at all it was very odd but uh so white you know i'm just he's got size he's gonna have to become a steadier player he's gonna have to start hitting the jump shot from three to really be a player i mean i think he's the sort of guy i wouldn't say he's quite this unathletic but he's almost and they also have the same hairline and haircut as well which is kind of funny he's almost like you know the guard version of kyle anderson in some ways with the the way he plays uh but he doesn't quite have the length of anderson or or the passing ability he's just sort of you could see him maybe becoming very steady in a lot of areas he reminds me of spencer dinwiddie his first couple years in the league before spencer dinwiddie actually like got his quickness back and started blowing by people like he has been the last year and a half or so but you know white's not coming off a torn acl the way dinwiddie was yeah i i'm interested to see where he goes and to see how he fits in this spurs rotation you never know how long manu's gonna play i hope he plays forever but they might have an opening there in in that kind of second unit a little bit more creation than most teams have with two guards depending on on where all this goes but i think we're ready to move on to minnesota right the wolves 35 and 24 six and eight since we last checked in on them a net rating of 3.6 that is fifth in the nba they have improbably the third ranked offense and after making some strides defensively to get up to 25th and with a 98 percent chance of making the playoffs they are now last in the nba or i'm sorry no 28th in the nba over their last 10 games defensively in which they've only gone four and six and the question i want to ask about this team and despite all the talent that they have i mean it seems like we've probably spent 75 percent of the time discussing them negatively i mean this is a team that's on pace to win 20 more games than they did last year like are we just being too hard on this team sort of i I cracked up because you wrote this earlier in the week and then i was watching as they went down 10 to the kings in the first quarter and it's like yeah (laughs) you know like this this is a little bit of it in a game 
game when I think Jimmy Butler only took one shot in the first half. So you have those sorts of things that happen sometimes. And the analogy I thought of was when you when we we all worked on group projects as a kid in school, the kid that bothered you that was most frustrating. I was type A and this sort of thing, which surprised nobody. I the kids that frustrated me were not the the screw ups like the kids that basically you just wrote off and you said, okay, they're not going to really help. It was the kids that were talented that didn't really apply themselves because you're sitting there going like you could help make this better. And especially when teams do it with low hanging fruit, like why the Bucks drove us crazy. The Wolves aren't to that degree, but you just sit there and you look at it and you go, the reason we're so critical is because we like so much of what they have. And that's why it can get a little bit frustrating. And they do have a solid amount of defensive talent. I mean, their second, their back bench unit is going to be a disaster. I mean, they have a lot of guys who don't defend there, but starting Taj and Jimmy, especially when they had Tyus Jones in the starting lineup, but they did defend better then. So you, you wonder, you just kind of sit there and go, yes, they're good, but they're so talented. And the other part of it for me is, yes, they have they have a very serious potential to get the third seed in the West, but the third seed in the West is way easier to get this year than we thought it was going to be because the Spurs have basically played without Kawhi and the Thunder haven't put it together as quickly as expected. So yeah, I would say we are a little bit too hard on them, but I think it's justified. Yeah, it's funny too that a lot of our complaints are about the offense and yet at the start of the season, if you had to project where they would be offensively, you would have been absolutely ecstatic if they were the third best offense in the NBA and it just it doesn't look the way we expect you know we've now been raised on these great offenses of the last five years or so first it was LeBron's Miami teams and then it was the Spurs and then it was Golden State and some of these Houston teams and because they don't do it that way because they get to the foul line because they offensive rebound because it's still a lot of ISO it's not great spacing because I mean they're at the bottom of the NBA in three-pointers attempted uh, although they were in that game with the Cavs which we'll talk about where they helped set an NBA record for most three-pointers in any game with 40 because it's not traditional I think we don't really respect what they've done offensively and then we look at like oh well Carl Towns isn't getting enough shots and Andrew Wiggins still isn't efficient and Jeff Teague is you know he's okay and Jamal Crawford takes too many shots and and Butler and Towns who are their two best players you know are guys who really should have a much you know it'd be great if each of those guys had like high 20s in usage but we're, we're not seeing that and yet they're still like a really really good offense it's uh so i think offensively we probably are being too harsh on them uh, i mean as much as you want to say they could be better i mean they're third in the league and the top two are like two all-time great offenses so it's hard to expect them to get much better than that that's fair and that game against the Cavs, so they played these two incredibly entertaining close losses in rapid succession both games i think both games were even on espn they were both they're both national tv for sure the game against cleveland went to overtime and it was 129 129 in regulation towns ended up with 30 points on 14 shooting possessions which is absolutely insane yeah what was he like six of six from three in that game six of six from three ten of twelve from the field just re- ridiculous offensive game from him and butler had had some really nice stretches as well jamal went off that was part of the reason how they were able to to cut to have to have a nice little margin in the second quarter but yeah i mean you you sit there with that kind of a game and you go okay you know they they can they can hang and they can do it and 
they've had some the other part with him and this is again just kind of the way you think about it is they've had some really great wins and they've had some really awful losses and I've heard this from players too but for whatever reason the bad losses stick with you more than the good wins and and this was a this was a totally fine loss I mean they, they lost to Cleveland when Cleveland was still they hadn't figured it out yet this was the game with the infamous LeBron celebration that did not include Isaiah Thomas but they have so much talent and the idea that they can hang with teams offensively is something that they can look to in the playoffs because they're going to be facing some really talented teams yeah and those this is last Wednesday already but I still think we need to talk about it that last play how they defended it uh I was critical of it in a couple of ways I mean one was the fact that they put two guys in the backcourt uh because remember they were inbounding basically from their own free throw line and then it was just Kyle Korver and LeBron in the front court really nice design by Cleveland by the way to have Kyle Korver a guy you feel like okay we can't leave this guy and LeBron so LeBron sets a screen for Korver to go to the weak side and then just turns right around and catches the ball and he's like LeBron is just so massive that there's just no way you're going to get around him and knock that away you know I mean you can throw a pass the entire length of the court and he's still going to catch it even if you're right there but a couple of aspects I mean one of those was and I don't really blame Tibbs for it where he's like you know as a coach you're not gonna be like okay if they put two guys in the backcourt you know we're not going to guard those guys I think it's really on the players to say hey you know what we'll give you a 75 footer with you know 1.9 remaining or whatever wait but to, before you before know. you get rolling we should also mention there was only one second left on the clock because right, right, right. yes. i think that's a lot of a lot of why we had why each of us had opposition to this was because you don't have enough time to do anything other than shoot yeah i mean i was i was assuming everyone's seen the play but they basically they threw the ball all the way to the opposite free throw line with lebron essentially posted up there and then he just went to the right shoulder fadeaway uh, on jimmy butler and but i also was so the guys in the backcourt have got to kind of realize that a little bit and then in Andrew Wiggins in a although he's been a little better this year defensively there's only one second left and so once the ball is in the air towards LeBron you have to just start running towards LeBron and so Wiggins is standing you know less than 10 feet away at the opposite elbow from where LeBron was he was following Kyle Korver but the ball's in the air you have to see ball and man and then just go over there he could have disrupted LeBron shot instead he actually even as the ball is in the air just continued to kind of take a couple of steps away from LeBron and just never moved towards him he had a chance to disrupt the play and you just got to know have an understanding of the time that with a second less there's no possible way he could make a pass there uh and Wiggins just never reacted and uh LeBron hit that shot and we'll see where that one and then that foul of, of Zach Levine two nights later in Chicago that allowed the Bulls to beat them down the end in the Tibbs technical for cussing out Carl Anthony Towns when Carl Anthony Towns was standing next to the ref but the other one the one that bothered me with the inbound uh, beyond the Wiggins one bothered me more than the backcourt guys was that the Wolves had a guy on the inbounder but he was far enough away it was Towns that was doing it he was far enough away that he wasn't really pre- preventing uh, uh, the pass angle there he wasn't making it be a higher arc because if you, even if all you do is you make the pass a more difficult one that would have given more Wiggins more time to recover all that sort of stuff it's like if you're going to cover the inbounder put the guy right on him to so make it make it harder for him to see and the, I didn't like I didn't like that part of it as well and maybe that's my my frame of reference as being a shorter guy but i was like okay the line the line of sight here isn't as bad as it could be we talked about their offense being third they feel a little bit more as dependent as they are you know they don't get a ton of ball movement especially down the end of games it's jimmy butler iso ball butler by the way had a hilarious quote when he was asked about like lebron james's block of him like that ended up setting up a james's shot where he was just like oh i knew he was gonna block it so i just threw it up there so he could 
spike it into the stands. <laughs> it's like just great. Like he was just asked some incredibly dumb question about like, oh, did you see he was coming over the blockers? So I, I can't remember what the exact question was. But back to their offense, it has some similar aspects getting to the foul line a ton. The offensive rebound, maybe not as much, uh, but the lack of spacing, the ISO heavy setup that with some playoff offenses that have largely been less effective like OKC going against great defenses at times those Hawks and Blazers teams from years ago that were very reliant on isolation and so this does have the hallmark to me a little bit of a team that is going to be more easily stopped once you can really lock in on their personnel and who you're not going to guard in the playoffs and then you also throw in their lack of experience as well I certainly think if they and OKC were to match up in the four or five that I, I would favor OKC pretty heavily in that series as of now. But you have to remember that like all of these other teams, they're they're going to play their starters so much more. So that's another advantage that they're going to get. Yeah, because the Wolves already are playing their starters so much more, right? It, whereas OKC uh, would be able to push up towards the, the Wolves level. A couple of, of other small notes here. They are 2-10 on the road against the East, including some just really bad losses. You've noted this. They lost like... Brooklyn and Orlando and some other like really bad East team in the last Atlanta, month. Like Atlanta, that's right. Yeah. Although Atlanta's been friskier of late at times. Uh beat Detroit today. Yeah, still. Minnesota's um, been Yes, that, that is the, the case. And then Carl Towns, the Carl Towns shot watch. Uh he attempted fewer than ten field goals, although it understates it a little bit because he gets to the line. Uh in six of Minnesota's last ten games, they went two and four in those games. And then today against the Kings, who wasn't the greatest performance in the world, but he did actually lead the team with uh twenty true shot attempts and uh was of course extremely efficient there should we move on to the thunder let's do it the thunder are 32 and 25 9 and 5 since the last time we did this sixth in net rating eighth in offense fifth in defense 92 percent chance of making the playoffs they're going to make the playoffs and the whole season counts obviously but something that is notable is that russell westbrook was awful the first month month and a half of the year and something that we looked up was basically how he's looked since then and so the the line that i used was december 16th that was really kind of when it started turning for him in the he had some spurts before that but where it got a little bit more consistent and if you look at that time frame, 56% true shooting, 35 usage, 116 offensive rating. That's Those ridiculous, num- by the way. The 116 oh, when yeah. he's on the floor. When he's on that's the floor. Like, I mean, that's not as good as the Warriors, uh, but you know that, that's a real top-level stuff. And you mentioned, by the way, too, that they are eighth in offense. I mean, through like a month and a half of the season, they were mired in the 20s. I mean, they have really been on fire offense. They have been. And sure, some of that is, is Robertson not being out, but they're, they're, Russell Westbrook is in playing a lot better. Paul George is playing a lot better. Had another huge game on Sunday in their win without Russell Westbrook. And so Westbrook, when you look at those numbers, they're actually fairly similar to what he did last year. The big difference is the 5% jump drop in usage. But in terms of efficiency, it's pretty similar. And so he's not go- going to probably ever be the guy that he was last year. But you're starting to see the elements of, of why he can be such an important offensive player. And then, of course, one of the games during this time was that absolutely spectacular first quarter against the Warriors when he, with the help, of course, of his team, 
teammates absolutely torched them in that first quarter. I think he had 21 points and like five or six assists, something like that. Yeah, I believe that's what it was. And for them, one of the things that they've been so good at these last few years is a transition. And how did the numbers compare last year? Last year, it was Russell Westbrook, Pell-Mell. We got to get something in transition because we have nobody else except Russ. So we might as well just throw up a shot here. But as it turns out, they're still pretty similar in terms of how often they attack in transition. Their transition frequency is still crazy high. They're fourth this year in the league, about 18% frequency, which is which is high. And what's weird about it is they're in terms of points plus per possession. So that's, you know, you would think because that's frequency plus success that they would be higher considering they're so frequent. But they have a very low points per play. And I have a theory with this. I want to watch more of them to see if it's true. And it's going back to like kind of last year where they they get up a shot on a higher proportion of the transition that they generate than most teams because they just the, the idea is well this is probably going to be the best shot we're going to get and so sometimes those shots are bad sometimes Russell Westbrook you know he drives into a crowd and shoots the best Westbrook plays are unbelievable but probably a, a few of those should just get pulled out and lead to something else so but they're still you know so destructive in transition yeah and Russ himself you know he'll turn it over he'll go hard to the rim and miss the layup a, a lot of times and that can turn into transition against them but nonetheless despite that and despite i mean this is impressive too you know they're great at offensive rebounding and also like they miss russell westbrook he'll go to the rim and he'll miss a lot of shots at the rim you know he just goes a thousand miles an hour and kind of can't quite get the pacing off the backboard and he'll go flying into the cameras and yet still they are outstanding in preventing opposing opposing transition plays i've been calling this the double because it's the thing there there was this idea for a little while where you had to choose between offensive rebounding and defending in transition and so they're they've been the league's best offensive rebounding team which is also remarkable because Stephen Adams is such a huge part of that and they're number three in terms of opponents percentage of possessions that are in the half court that's a way of measuring how often the other team runs and that's really really impressive and also extremely important because the Thunder have been the third best half court defense so if you can just make make your strong half court defense play more often then that can really help keep the other team down yeah and liam did some research earlier which needs to be followed up on that the last few years there is not really as much of a correlation between getting offensive rebounds and giving up a transition and vice versa so i think in the new nba it could be possible that you can be better at getting offensive rebounds and maybe it just all comes down to having just that one dominant offensive rebounder like a steven adams um terrence ferguson after i think he took like four shots in four games total he has seeded his spot in the rotation he did not play at all uh, until garbage time against the Warriors Alex Abrinas is back now I think he provides some needed shooting and over his last six games he has taken 7.2 shots per game averaging about 25 minutes and six of those have been three so he's getting up there to you know nearly about nine shots from three per 36 minutes that's a good rate that's what we'd like to see from him I'm sure that he considers himself a little bit more versatile than that but if he can hit decently from downtown and stretch the floor that's going to be a big positive for the playmakers around him and he's going to be really inconsistent you know because he's just shooting spot up threes but doing well enough here i mean he's had games of four of seven four of eight you know those are the type of number of attempts you'd like to see him getting up there the last thing i wanted to talk about with them is the carmelo anthony situation after they played so well against the warriors this again has come to my mind we've seen him 
him just get roasted on the end of games defensively as teams that have just specifically targeted him in the pick and roll or off of a switch and do you think is it clear to you that they could be a better playoff team down the stretch without him in the game down the end i I certainly don't think that billy donovan is going to have the stones to not play him unless he has some kind of a cover like you know there's a unit out there that's just gone on a 10-0 run or something you know if he can kind of point to that sometimes coaches like will if they have an excuse they can play the lineup that they want to play anyway and get away with it politically but is it clear to you that there would be a better team without him and we never know for sure obviously but down the end of games Melo's value is the offense that he can generate and there is a place for him in the league but Oklahoma City to me does not need him to generate reliable offense so far this year again it's a really small sample size when Russ has played without Mello but there hasn't really been a drop off in those circumstances Paul George is having a really nice year they have so they have other guys who can do well with the ball in their hands and then they have players like Abrinas who are better low usage guys that can create more space and all that kind of stuff so yes I think that's the most likely outcome here in terms of what I think should be like the way that this is played that is of course not what I expect to actually have happen and that's a real challenge for them i mean you think about the seven game series and just how teams can get so much more comfortable with opponents strengths and weaknesses and knowing what they're going to do and they're going to be facing really good opposition you know right now they're kind of in this morass of teams from three to five but you could also depending on how the teams below them get into it this could get even thicker and that means they're going to be facing high quality opposition in every single round they play in. So those kinds of margins are going to matter. They're probably going to be in a lot of close games. Yeah, it comes down to the fact to me that he can't beat the best defense anymore. And the best offense certainly can beat him defensively. Um, so uh, you used SeaKeek recently, huh? Let's, uh, let's tell listeners about that. Yeah, it was a very high, let's call it a high leverage situation. What happened <laughs> was I was on Twitter and saw that the, the Giants had had announced the day that Barry Bonds was going to get his jersey retired and realized, oh God, as of somebody who used to work in the ticket business, there's a moment here where I can buy tickets, ideally for personal use, but theoretically to sell, before everybody else gets them. But I knew it was going to be rapid fire for brokers or whoever else to move their tickets up and for people to buy them. So I had to use SeatGeek's deal score because I had no time to evaluate them myself because the the, the listings were going away so quickly. And I was thrilled because I, I found one thing I hesitated too long and then I, I got something that I was absolutely absolutely thrilled with and if i had if i had tried to evaluate myself i would have lost all of those things because everything moves so quickly yeah that's a perfect example of how SeatGeek's at deal score technology where they rank each ticket based on value can save you time now you're not going to be in a high leverage situation all the time as danny so eloquently put it but you are going to want to just save time you don't want to spend 20 25 minutes trying to figure out what tickets you're going to get you want to go in you want to have all the tickets at your fingers because SeatGeek aggregates sites together so that'll save you time you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites and then you just click on whatever the best deal is in the area that you want to sit and you can trust that SeatGeek is going to give you the best deal based on that location with their algorithms which uh, both of us have been very impressed by 
And you know, of course, that you can always get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase using that Capspace code, but SeatGeek has a special NBA offer running through All-Star Weekend. And this doesn't mean you have to go see the game before All-Star Weekend. It just means you buy your tickets before All-Star Weekend. And if you do that, first-time purchasers can get $30 off NBA ticket between now and February 19th, especially in some markets late in the season. Like that could be like half of your total purchase. You can get $30 off any NBA ticket between now and february 19th as long as you buy it you can go see any game till the end of the season and that promo code is dunked d-u-n-c-d that'll get you 30 dollars off any nba purchase uh, if you are a first-time seat geek purchaser once again that's dunked for 30 dollars off first-time purchase of nba tickets with seat geek or that familiar cap space code for 20 dollars off any regular first-time purchase of any other uh, tickets so let them know that you came from us uh, using those cap space codes or the dunked code d-u-n-c-d cd for that 30 dollars off of nba tickets who is in sixth place in the conference i actually don't even know off the top of my head the portland trailblazers they were actually in a tie with oklahoma city before they lost the last game of sunday night to the utah jazz they are 31 and 26 9 and 5 since the last one of these slight positive net rating 0.4 puts them 13th 15th in offense 11th in defense 64 percent chance of making the playoffs per our friends at 538 one little data point just because i thought this was cool Lillard dropped 50 points in three quarters, so their second second time that happened for the Blazers this year. And also, that made Lillard and C.J. McCollum the sixth pair of teammates to go each go for 50-plus in the same season since 1963. The last time it had been done was Steph Curry and Clay Thompson back in 2014-15. Yeah, and some of these are really awesome teams. The, probably the only one of these that I would have gotten for sure was the 80-45 Celtics. That's a legendary story where Kevin McHale got 56 and then Larry Bird had 60 in that completely preposterous game against the Hawks when the Hawks were like playing some games in New Orleans. So this game was in New Orleans after the the Jazz had left New Orleans. And, you know, Bird is like hitting these falling out of bounds, three-pointers, and like the Hawks guys are going crazy on the bench. Like that's just a classic NBA film. But uh, two of these teams actually didn't even make the playoffs. Dana Barros and Willie Burton both had 50 for the 94 95 Sixers that was one of the worst teams in the NBA they got the number three overall pick and selected Jerry Stackhouse that year and then also in 94 95 the Mavericks Jim Jackson and Jamal Mashburn both put up 50 and they also missed the playoffs uh, maybe that year is just because they moved the three-point line in and guys could just start bombing on threes but I don't think Willie Burton was doing that Barrows definitely was taking advantage of that and then some of these other teams that you might know the Spurs with George Gervin and Larry Kennan and then the 14-15 Warriors uh, with Steph Curry got 51 and Klay Thompson dropped 52 in that game that he had 37 and a quarter. Neither of which I attended. <laughs> I'm a little <laughs> bit bitter about that. But but so the the main thing that I wanted to bring up, and this was a, just a question I had, we haven't talked about this, is my the thesis was, is this Portland's best shot with this basic core? Because they had very little turnover in the offseason. They've been pretty healthy this year. Eight missed games combined for, for Lillard and CJ age 26 season for McCollum 27 for Lillard and they might lose some talent this summer because Ed Davis is a free agent they're going to probably be right on the luxury tax borderline with that so from what we know right now do you think this is their best shot well that's a a little depressing but yeah considering the ages we'll see and we'll see also uh, how willing they are 
to pay the tax next year after a year out of it here. They are looking at, as of now, that's this is just with Yusuf Nurkic's cap hold being $3 million into the tax. And maybe they'll feel like they can just go with Zach Collins as the starting center. I don't think he's quite ready for that yet. If they wanted to move on from Nurkic, they would basically have about $5 million bucks below the tax to add a center. And that's not even talking about filling out a, a roster either. They still have Myers Leonard on the books. Maybe we'll see them end up stretching Myers Leonard, who will have $22 million left on his contract with two years and totally out of the rotation. Maybe they'll try to move it and Evan Turner. I, I think they will try to do something here, you know, since they're likely looking at another first run exit, if in fact they can even make the playoffs, which they're looking like a better chance to do 64%, as you mentioned. I would say maybe, God, maybe that first year was their best chance. Maybe the, uh, the first when year. When the Clippers guys got hurt? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I don't see them making the second round of the playoffs with this group ever again uh, unless some major changes occur and i also want to say that making the playoffs and you know being competitive is not a failure it shouldn't be considered that way but it it is the idea of just kind of how you think about this team because certain elements of it will get more expensive and certain elements are not going to be under team control as as much longer i mean they still have i believe it's two years after this year with lowered and mccollum so they still have some time but they're gonna have to figure this out and they're they're not an old team by any stretch of the imagination but they just don't have a lot of pre-prime guys they have collins you know had however you feel about napier and and Connaughton and swanigan like those type of guys but they don't really have many game changers where it's like okay this guy can take a big step up and really push us up unless nurkic gets way better and people we forget that he's i think he's 23 so he could get better but i I don't know i I just don't buy it as much for him that he's going to take this huge leap but this will be his first offseason hopefully that in a little bit where he'll be healthy so maybe he can really get better yeah I kind of have this feeling that he's not going to be on the team next year. Maybe, maybe that's wrong. They have this investment in him. Um, they have, I think maybe Olshay at this point has learned his lesson about paying guys after that summer of 2016 or maybe, or the organization. You don't know how much of that was Paul Allen, but you mentioned their best chance. I mean, this, they made it to the second round. That was artificially high because of course the Clippers had all those injuries. They wouldn't have won that series had it not been for that, but to do that. And then they're going into the off season with a, a ton of cap space that, it certainly is very disappointing that having all that cap space in the offseason has actually caused them to lose talent because they had to move on from Alan Crabb because he was so overpaid and they're paying the tax and they've got Turner who was not an upgrade on Crabb but Turner wasn't tradable and Crabb was and and they also paid Myers Leonard who is stuck on the books and so they've had to offload other talent to get under the tax as well I mean Von Ley isn't on the team anymore that that was someone that they hoped to could develop for them all that is uh, pretty disappointing here but but not disappointing was that awesome 50-point game that Lillard had. And wanted to talk a little bit about that against the Kings. I mean, Zach Randolph, other than Steph Curry, Dame Lillard is probably just about the worst matchup in the league for Zach Randolph. Maybe even worse than Curry because Dame has the quickness to just blow by him if he does get out on the floor. And so Dame also was hitting the deep three. It was eight out of 13 on threes in this one. And some very deep attempts, some very difficult attempts. And then there was also just bad defense from the likes of Willie. Collie Stein, who has the physical ability maybe to hang with Dame in the perimeter, but just loses 
concentration too much and wasn't getting out on those pick and rolls and uh randolph as we mentioned pretty much powerless to, to do anything against those dane was able to get in the lane he had this unbelievable uh backhand flip finish with his right hand from the left side of the hoop under the arm of collie stein and then the coup de gras as they went on a 17-0 run late in the third was last possession of the quarter or what should have been the, the last possession they were running the time down and willie collie stein this is lillard on his way he's already hit seven three-pointers willie collie stein doesn't get far enough up in the pick and roll and, and lillard just hits a three in his eye with you know two on the shot clock or something it was encapsulated it a lot but yeah lillard was awesome uh ended up 16 out of 26 from the field we mentioned the 29 minutes was all also had six assists 10 of 10 from the foul line i mean the guy is just a, an absolute monster uh and just a, one of my favorite players in the league to watch play and i think a guy who is although he has now made the all-star team for a second time is probably underrated uh playing in portland right now he's also getting to the line not more than last year but more than early in his career and when you're shooting 91 percent from there those shots that uh, really does count and this is also the highest three-point attempt rate of his career which has been high for a while all right let's close out uh, this section with uh, the number seven team we'll give you one playoff team for the bad team since we got to have a a teaser there and again i don't know it off the top of my head who is the number seven team in the west right now the denver nuggets the nuggets are four games over 500 they are 30 and 26 eight and five since last time we did this 12th in net rating seventh in offense 22nd in defense and a 64 percent chance of making the playoffs per 538 yeah and, and interestingly enough both the blazers and nuggets are projected to finish behind the jazz by two games uh the jazz crawled up to 500 we'll talk about them tomorrow uh, but despite the blazers having a three-game lead on the jazz the jazz have a 2.3 points per 100 better net rating the jazz given an 89 percent chance of making the playoffs now with the, these blowout wins and in fact the jazz did blow out the blazers here but back to the nuggets they finally got a road win 123 113 against phoenix they had to play guys a ton of minutes i think will barton was over 40 minutes in that game gary harris was right on 40 minutes as well uh they did get devin harris in uniform for the first time he was actually a team best plus 17 and didn't get a chance to see exactly how they were using him in that one uh you wanted to check in though uh, on jamal murray you mentioned on the tour nba show that you had watched a ton of jamal murray and i am jealous of that because he is one of my favorite players to watch he is and we both really liked him as a prospect because he is a, a very good natural shooter and he has the type of jump shot that can work in a couple different capacities spot up he's been wonderful this year not a surprise about 1.2 points per possession there which is phenomenal and he can do he can shoot also as a pick and roll ball handler and that's really been the pivot point for him in terms of where he's going to go in the future but to go through his basic stats uh per just over 16 true shooting 57.5 23 usage and uh 37.6 percent from three on 6.1 attempts per game and He's shooting better from every area of the floor. So if you do go through the separations that cleaning the glass does, so that's, you know, at the rim and floater range and so on and so forth. And he has a modest improvement at the rim, up 2%. But from mid-range, he's gone from 36% to 45%. Yeah, and while that's, that's not the massive. Big, that's massive. It's huge. Right and, that, and that forces teams to defend him differently because a lot of those can be on pull-up jumpers, you know, depending on the screens that he's getting. 
But really where I ended up going with the film was what, sometimes when a number... Well, let's talk about that improved shooting sure. for a, a second first. Uh, because you remember that he had like hernia surgery right after the season last year. And I don't know if that was affecting his shooting. I mean, because uh, he, he has a lot of magic moves. And we're like, yeah, but, you know, the ball just hasn't gone in for him. You know, that was my biggest concern for him as, as a prospect. And then when he started off this year just frigid for the first month of the year, like, oh, man, like maybe he just, you know, for whatever reason, he's never going to make shots. And he's been... Uh, on fire since then so maybe it was the hernia maybe it was bad luck maybe he's just a better shooter now who knows but uh that's been a, a massive shift for sure especially that mid-range shooting uh off the pick and roll most of that's off the dribble so one of the things that i end up doing on synergy sometimes is if i see something that's weird i i try to research it a little bit just to get a better explanation for it and so the one that got me and what where i ended up watching a fair amount of the footage i watched at jamal murray was as a pick and roll ball handler shooting the ball he's at about 0.9 points per possession or 0.9 points per possession which is which is pretty good it's not amazing but i think he can get better there but it's not bad but what was weird was he's actually getting uh, the team is getting a lower efficiency on passes out of pick and rolls and usually that's not the case because you can get roll guys you can do a whole bunch of stuff out of a pick and roll especially with a guy like jamal who can shoot and so i was like okay well why is this happening and so the first thing i looked at was that on those passes there is a 15 percent turnover rate and so that seemed high to me and so i'm looking at it and what a lot of those are none of those are like the ones that i watched i think like 40 of those plays were jamal murray just like making a bad pass it was just the way their offense sometimes works where like it would get to a guy on a spot up and he would just travel because you know like he like trey Lyles would try to make a drive and he's, yeah yeah he's a, so it's not it's not turnovers that are charged to murray it's just right after he throws a pick and roll pass the team itself turns it over over on 15 percent of those and then the other big one is they're only shooting 20 Two percent on spot up shots that he passed to on a pick and roll, and that's just crazy low. It's true that they're you know they, the shooters outside of Jamal Murray are not always great, but they should be doing a lot better there. So I think as as the team develops, as they get talent, and as just the regression of the mean gets there, that that will look a lot better. And I mean their offense is they're already seventh, and so you think about kind of where the the Murray Jokic combination can go from here defensively. Yes, there there are significant concerns. We'll have to see how that looks with Paul Millsap. I believe early to mid March, but emphasis more on the mid-March is the current timeline with him so that's a whole nother month but I still really I enjoy watching Denver they've they've been a they've they're a frustrating team they're one of the more frustrating teams at, at moments but when their offense is humming they're just so awesome I've totally forgotten that like Paul Millsap is even on this team <laughs> like like he, well because I mean, they're looking more like they looked last year I right, mean when right. they now now that Mason Plumlee's out they're playing Lyles at the four and so it's kind of like some of those lineups where they had Wilson Chandler and Gallo last year and so they're they're spacing the floor a little bit they don't really have that many good defenders out there and you go oh yeah this is the nuggets i'm familiar with this is the nuggets i'm comfortable with not the team they're hoping to have at the end of the year and my my expectation is that there will be a big adjustment with Millsap, just like there was at the beginning of the year but it could make them more viable just because you have to be able to stop teams at least a little bit in the playoffs and they're going to need to be able to do that yeah so uh, back to murray uh, josh lloyd if you're listening uh that low shooting percentage on spot outside of pick and roll maybe jamal murray could get more assists in in the future it could be a fantasy sleeper i don't even know if that matters that much but because uh, i have no idea how fantasy works but uh other interesting stats for murray 
in isolation uh, again not they don't have a ton of spacing around him a lot of times but it, uh, a lot of it will come from pick and roll switches it's been a little bit below average only 0.8 points per possession there i didn't get a chance to watch all that did you watch it, much of what he was doing in isolation at all i didn't i wasn't as interested in that yeah. it was more the pick and roll stuff just because I, like, I like i've been pleased with the looks that he's able to get just when i've been watching games yeah. in isolation I mean, he's not blowing by all the way to the rim necessarily but he's got some herky jerk to him i think i feel like he generally can get a pretty good look in an iso you know, if he has a mismatch i mean if you you're asking him to go create a shot against paul george you know i don't know if he's capable to do that but uh so, so but that, that'll be something to watch on him as well but i think we've said this before about him i think he's right on track to what he hoped he's going to be and now with emmanuel moutier who wasn't exactly competing with him for playing time any longer anyway with moutier no longer in the picture i mean he is the uncontested point guard of the future in denver and i look forward to watching him for over 30 minutes a game for a long time in a nuggets uniform all right that'll do it for this first edition of the 15 and 60 we'll be back tomorrow or maybe a little bit later today i haven't decided exactly how i'm going to release these yet but uh, stay tuned for the rest including the on fire utah jazz who are way better than these last two teams we talked about maybe not uh, although they certainly looked good against portland uh, don't forget about our sponsors seat geek and quip toothbrush today and then also the number one thing you can do to support us right now is use in that cap space code with wish as we are uh they're currently reviewing whether they're going to renew sponsorship for the tour nba show so if you download the wish app and use that cap space code to get 20 percent off on basically you can buy just about anything at, on wish uh so it's it's a great service to use anyway uh even if you weren't just doing us a favor so we appreciate all your support and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another show till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.